0: Welcome everybody It's time once again For another episode of Living Hope It's a weekly journey here Designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education For any of those living with pancreatic cancer And those living with them Sharing the real life stories of those really affected by this disease And how everyone struggles to deal with it on a daily basis With your host, the woman been ch- chronicling this journey for 19 plus years now. Here, she's a she's a she's a committed storyteller here. Roberta, Liverwalker.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to always come back every week, and I hope you guys don't get tired of hearing my voice. But um, again, I'm still trying to get comfortable with this, and I don't know when that will happen. But we'll keep going at it. Today, we do have a very special guest returning, which I'm very thrilled to have her come back. It's Pamela Acosta Marquardt. That's right. I did it. <laughs> you did did it. Did it. <laughs> Who is the founder of the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, affectionately known as PanCAN? And I'm very thrilled to have her come back today and talk a little bit about what PanCAN is doing that no one else is doing. But before we get there, I want um, to ask Pam if she would share a little bit about her journey with pancreatic cancer for those of you that may not be aware of where she's been and what she's been doing.
2: So anyways, in in June of 1996, so about 25 years ago, my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and survived that journey for just six months. And during that time, I just, you know, I looked around and said, this is crazy that there's no organizations for pancreatic cancer really anywhere in the world at that point in time and wasn't much being done in research or anything else. Just had the crazy idea to get something going and, uh, you know, rallied a bunch of people I met online that were in the same situation, and here we are 25 years later.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Well, thank you for taking that crazy idea and running with it. I mean, I'm very happy that you did. I know I – was. i I'm sure it wasn't that easy, um, but did you have any special difficulties getting it started or – You just set your mind to it and you just did it.
2: You know, and it really doesn't. You've heard me say this over and over again. I always say that, you know, sometimes you're just too stupid to know certain things can't get done. (laughs) And when you're very passionate about something, you just forge ahead. And I think one of the things that I happen to be really good at is like I was able to rally a bunch of other people to follow me with that crazy vision. And you put passion to the equation and anything is possible.
1: Right, you can really move those mountains. I actually remember finding you on the John Hopkins website um, after my dad's diagnosis in 1998. So I'm very happy that you took that forward and did something because it actually, I was able to use it sometime later many, many times, and I'm sure others were as well. So thank you very much for doing that. So what is Pancan doing that no one
2: else is doing? Well, you know, there's really a lot, and it goes back to, in the very beginning, we knew that even though we knew research was a really important thing to you know dive into with pancreatic cancer because there was very little being done in the research arena back then, but we also knew just from so many of our own experiences, you've been through it, I've been through it, Julie, our, our president and CEO has been through it, that we knew we had to do something for patients. We knew we had to be that voice on the other end of the phone, that when somebody calls after getting a diagnosis, that we can help guide them, that we can provide the most up-to-date information available out there, that we can give them hope in a disease that many times doesn't demonstrate a lot of hope. can
1: feel very hopeless, actually. And the service that patients would call or families would call, uh, what is that exactly? What does that entail?
2: Well, somebody gets a new diagnosis and the patient or a family member can call into patient services. They will get a case manager that will be their personal case manager and they will like I mentioned a second ago be provided with the most up-to-date information on pancreatic cancer. We own and manage the most up-to-date clinical trial database so we can search for clinical trials and and by the way, we have a portal in that clinical trial database that medical professionals can use too so people can have their doctors call in and get access to that same database. So that's really important. We have a program that we rolled out, I think about six years ago now, called Know Your Tumor, where we actually can help coordinate biomarker testing, meaning if we can get our hands and when I say we, it's you know we have a third party that does all of this but if we can get our hands on some tissue from that tumor, whether it's a biopsy sample, we're able to run biomarker testing to see if there are any specific mutations in play, that there may just very well be a drug on the market, even if it's not for pancreatic cancer. It was specifically designed to hit that mutation. I mean, this is what personalized medicine is all about, right? It's not about treating the organ that cancer has manifested itself in, but actually treating the cells and kind of determining what made them behave badly to begin with. Exactly. And
1: getting back to the clinical trials we were talking about through patient services, just something I would like to recommend to, to every patient and family member, do look into clinical trials. They are very important. I know a lot of people think it's the last-ditch effort, and it really isn't. It is something we really should be looking at firsthand but instead of trying to reach that research that yourself because it can be very daunting, right. let patient services do that for you. It just takes one more thing off your plate that you don't have to worry about. So I really highly recommend that you let, you know, call patient services and we'll give you the number later, but call patient services and let them do that research for you. You did touch on the, the clinical trial database. Do you know how big that is and how wide that stretches?
2: You know, I don't know offhand because they're always adding more trials to it. So I don't know what the exact number is right now, but you know, the difference between having a search done through our database or just going to, you know, the database that the government has, their database isn't always up to date. Like you might see a trial, but oh guess what? It's no longer accruing patients or it's closed or it's too far away. We're able to take a patient specific information, you know, whether they're willing to travel, whether they need to find something within, you know, 100 miles of their home or whatever, and their specific diagnosis mm-hmm. that they re- have received, and put that through the system, and it comes back and will produce a list of every trial that they're eligible for. So then they can take that to their doctor and discuss all the different options. And you're right, it's not, clinical trials are not a last ditch effort, because we know, unfortunately, that the approved treatment protocols that we have right now are not as effective as they could be or should be. And so the next best cutting edge, big wild idea, that's what's in the clinical trials.
1: Yeah, and exactly. And also to get a drug approved, it has to go through a clinical trial. So it's very, very important to consider that and to have your doctor consider. And I've even had doctors tell me that they really didn't know what what the clinical trials were so they were very thankful to have pan can to either go to or to have the patients come back and say right here's the (laughs) clinical trial I need to I need to have you look at it and not that there's anything wrong with the government's clinical trial but uh, database but it's just so huge that like you say not only is it not maybe up to date but then every cancer is in there I think it's better if you have something that's just for pancreatic cancer, which you will get at Pancan.
2: Yeah, and one of the myths that I really want to dispel and stress is that, you know, many times people think, oh, well, if you don't get the trial drug, you're getting a placebo. Well, in cancer, there are no placebos. You will get, at minimum, the current standard of care, or you'll get the trial drug. So, so many people are afraid Mm -hmm. of that. Uh, they are because that is one
1: of the misconceptions that we face every every January is Clinical Trials Awareness Month, and that is the first question that always comes up. But I don't want to get a placebo, and they don't understand that with cancer you would not get a placebo. Like you say, correct. you will get the standard care that that is current at that time. So, but yes, please do consider. It is not a last ditch effort, and you will be helping so many other people by considering and looking into the clinical trials as well and as yourself, yourself. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, we're on the same page there. <laughs> Uh, what is, okay, I'm part of the patient registry, and I, I love it because it gives me a chance to add my information as well as my family's, but if you could give us a little more detail and go into exactly what the patient registry is.
2: So the patient registry was developed initially because we know that if we can have a place where patients and even caregivers can go and self-populate just information about their journey, we know if we, come, if we collect enough of that data that there's going to be clues, in there and that had not been done before. So we were really excited to roll out that registry so that, you know, patients can be they can feel empowered to know that their information about their journey could be helping somebody else down the line or could be helping them. Because as all of this data is looked at and and crunched and like I said, there's going to be clues in there like, oh my gosh, we're hearing from X amount of percentage of patients that they're dealing with this, this, or this, we maybe should be taking a look at that. Mm -hmm. And it could be something we hadn't thought of before.
1: Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I know a lot of people are always worried about their privacy, but you have actually full control of who sees it and when all that happens. So um, please be assured that it's not, it's not being sold to anybody else. You do have control of who gets to see that information. So I'm I'm still correct on that. A- absolutely, more now than ever. <laughs> Good. And then we ha- also have the survivor and caregiver
2: network and connections. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, I mean, so many times a patient will call in or a family member will call in being a caregiver and just want to talk to somebody else that's going through the journey because it's great calling and speaking with a case manager but sometimes, I and mean, we see it all over, like on social media, people are gravitating to these groups because they want to talk to others. But we have a group of people that volunteer their time, both caregivers and survivors, to talk to others. And they're trained so they have the most up-to-date information and they know what they can say and what they're, they can't say from a legal perspective, Um, And it's so helpful. We hear from patients all the time, oh, my gosh, it just made such a difference to have my loved one be able to, you know, talk to somebody else that's a caregiver and kind of get somebody else's perspective and to know that you're not alone in this journey.
1: It does, really does help. And I'm very honored and fortunate to be part of the Survivor and Caregiver Network. And also a little bit unusual circumstances that I've been on both sides of the fence. So I um, feel... Very honored when I can reach out or talk to somebody who's going through something, and if I can just give them just a little bit of something for them to hang on to and know that there is actually hope out there. So I'm really appreciative of all these services that PanCan has to offer. The one that really touches my heart the most is our Advocacy Day, um, which we go, for those that don't know, we go usually every year in June. Though last mm-hmm. year, or I'm sorry, this year we actually did it virtually, which was okay, but still we missed that one-on-one, but we got what we needed done. So could you explain a little bit what advocacy is and what we've been doing with it?
2: Yeah, and we've been doing, advocacy is another area that we've been focusing on since the very beginning, because in the very beginning, you know, we didn't have the the money to directly fund research. But what we knew we had was really big voices and really big feet we could stomp, <laughs> and we could get the attention of the federal government because I don't care what disease you are, the federal government is always going to be the largest funder of any disease. So when we first started PANCAN, the federal government was only invested investing like on an annual basis like $17.3 million into pancreatic cancer research. And the year my mom was diagnosed, I think it was like 8 point something million which is crazy. So by getting together every year, and like you said, I mean, we literally turn that hill purple, right? I mean, we've been there year and year again. And it's so exciting to have people remember that they can be empowered because their voices matter. And even for all the people that can't make it to the hill with us, we have Collins that morning. So it doesn't matter where you are in the country. You can call and talk to your representatives. You can leave messages, speak with their health aides who advise them on what they should be paying attention to. And it all makes a difference. And it makes such a big difference that not only have we been able to get the annual federal funding up to, you know, well over now $170 million a year, but we were able to get a bill passed in Congress called the Recalcitrant mm-hmm. Cancer Research Act that basically said – that the NCI, the National Cancer Institute, needed to make a strategic plan to address pancreatic cancer. And they've done that, and we're starting to see progress from that now. And on top of that, it was, let's see, I think at the end of 2019... I'm losing track of time with the (laughs) the whole pandemic. (laughs) But the Department of Defense, which, you know, surprisingly enough, they actually help fund diseases as well. Um, And every year, as part of our advocacy efforts, we'd have to go and beg, please give some money to pancreatic cancer. Please, (laughs) you know, throw a bone our way, something. And they actually made a specific line item for pancreatic cancer which is fabulous, Fabulous. so they had $15 million in specifically for pancreatic cancer, and which was a big win. It is, and it's just totally amazing.
1: And just to go back real quick to the Calciton Re- Cancer Research Act... I'm, for one reason, I'm very proud of that, because it, only, it took us five years to get that through. and I Only had, five only, years. <laughs> but yeah, only five years, because I have a niece that works in the nonprofit, and she's been they've been trying to get a bill passed for, she said, over 10 years. Yes. So wanting to know how we were managing to do it, and I said, just the persistence, we don't go away. And it's always nice to hear from those people that we do meet, that I know at first one we would, like you say, turn the hill purple, They kind of would look at us kind of odd, but now they're really actually glad to see us and to hear from us. And Mm -hmm. a number of us who do go to Advocacy Day also do the national call-in as well after we had these meetings. So it's really nice to hear them say, oh, here comes the purple people. And it's just a nice thing to be leaving behind knowing that you are leaving a a, a good memory or something behind. And also something I'm proud about this bill also is that it wasn't just, though the main reason was pancreatic cancer, they were dealing with the eight deadliest cancers that had a under than 50% survival rate. Five-year so survival I'm rate. I'm sorry, yeah. five-year mm-hmm. um, survival rate. So I'm very proud of PANCAN for taking that on as well. It, I think it shows that they care about others as well, and it was just a really great thing to take care of. Community for progress. What exactly is that? I hear that a lot when We hear them talking, Julie talking. What exactly is Community for Progress?
2: Okay, so just to take a quick step back. So after a couple years of having the organization up and running, and we had some events that were generating enough revenue that we finally decided in 2003 that we had money we could directly fund research. So we knew it was really important, especially back then. I mean, it's still important today but especially back then to get the younger researchers funded and in the field and get get them excited about studying pancreatic cancer. We also knew that we couldn't just write a check and say, okay, go do your work (laughs) and check back with us in a year or two years. But Community for Progress is a really important piece. And the funny thing is For years, we didn't have a name for it, but we were doing it because we knew in our gut it was the right thing to do. It's basically where we take these scientists, especially the the younger scientists, the junior-level scientists that we fund, and we set them up for success. We make sure that they're at the conferences that they need to be at. We make sure that we are matching them up with senior scientists. We give them the opportunity to interact with the scientists that have been in the field longer and obviously in the very beginning it was a little tougher because there weren't that many scientists that had been in the field for any length of time but now that we're you know 21 years out with the organization the field has just grown tremendously so we make sure that all of the field is the, you know we see ourselves as conveners We bring people together, we kind of force collaboration. And by making sure that the younger scientists have access to the more senior level scientists to bounce their ideas off, and they can say, oh, you know what, we tried that, don't go down that route, but you might want to modify a little bit. We have researchers tell us that that piece of it, the community for progress, is something that has kept them in the field of pancreatic cancer, because they don't They wouldn't have gotten that with another disease, most likely.
1: True. And what I think I've always enjoyed or liked is being or having the opportunity to sometimes to meet these young uh, researchers and future researchers and scientists, because to see the work they're doing, though, to be honest with you, a lot of the times it's over my head and I don't get it. Right. But the fact is, when you hear them talking about they're so enthused and Apparently, we also give back to them because they want to see what their work is doing and that people are surviving. So Mm -hmm. it is really, um, it's a a great thing, and I'm really happy that PanCan has been able to get them to get together and do this. I don't know if you mentioned how many grants, maybe I missed it, that we have done
2: since 2003. Yeah, so actually since 2003, we have given out uh, 200 18 grants now to 203 researchers. So, yes, more grants than researchers, but that's because some some of the researchers have gone on to receive second and third grants from us because their work has progressed so nicely. But what's more exciting than how many grants we've given out is the fact that those grants have been given out to a total of now 75 different institutions. Mm. Remember I said back in the beginning there was maybe one or two institutions that, you know, had any focus in pancreatic cancer back in the day. Now we know for sure that there's 75 institutions, and there's more, but those are the ones that that just made the top-level cut. So there's many more institutions than just that 75, but the fact that we can proudly say that 75 institutions are of such excellence – and such innovation and such creativity while studying pancreatic cancer that they were able to get a grant from us.
1: Yeah, It's amazing to watch these scientists and researchers grow. I remember the first, I think, year that I attended, I believe it was Coulter Advocacy Day. Um, there was just a handful that were up on the stage. And then the last year that we were all together, it's just like they just kept coming, and they just right. kept coming, and it just brought tears to our eyes to see that growth. And it, it's just... I don't know. It's it's overwhelming, and people just have to really, really understand that. And I know it's difficult to keep scientists and researchers interested because they all want to go to a cancer that is surviving and doing better. How is it the Pancan has been able to keep them interested and keep them there to to work on pancreatic cancer?
2: Well, I think it goes back to that. Really important role that we see as a convener and a collaborator. And when we can bring people in the field, whether it's our volunteers, our scientists, our medical professionals, they become a part of our big purple family. And I think feeling that you're a part of that and knowing the challenges that we're facing with pancreatic cancer, and knowing that if you win with this one, you're going to win big. Yeah. And so we have all of those that are ready to rise to the occasion. So we're really excited about that. Oh, that's amazing. And something else that we're really excited
1: about is Precision Promise. Um, can you take a, a little bit and tell us a little bit about that? Yeah,
2: qu- quick, and I'll just do like the, the shortened version of it. But bottom line, we know clinical trials are really important. They are what the FDA, the Federal federal Drug administration, requires to make sure that drugs are safe, that they're going to be effective, that the benefit's more than the risk, and it's to get a drug to a yay or nay at the end. But with pancreatic cancer patients, that model doesn't always fit right. Mm -hmm. So we went out to a whole bunch of our really smart scientists led by our chief scientific officer. That is a mouthful. Say that (laughs) 10 times. Oh my gosh. And we said, okay, if you all could dream really big and come up with a model that would fit our community, what would that look like? And they developed this adaptive trial platform whereby we can still test drugs because you don't want to miss that piece. We can test the drugs with less patience, less time, and these are patient-centric trials, meaning that if somebody goes on one arm and they maybe aren't responding well to the drug that they're on, we are able to quickly move them to another arm. In normal clinical trials, that doesn't happen. So the FDA is really excited about Precision Promise, and they even stated to us at one point that this could very well become the next gold standard for clinical trial design. And that's
1: amazing. That's something we're all very excited about and can't wait to see this happen. Mm -hmm. And it's (laughs) happening
2: because we have um, 15 sites up now all over the country, Um, soon to be 20 sites that that's coming. There's already five more sites um, that are going to be determined quickly. And, yeah, it's it's happening now. We have over 100 patients enrolled already.
1: That's amazing, amazing. Really early, if you can uh, quickly... I'm sorry, I think we're about to run out of some time, but I know we have early detection. I wanted to touch the early detection initiative. I don't know if you can do it really quickly before we move on, but just a real...
2: Just really quick. We've known for a very long time that there was a relationship between sudden, late after the age of 50, onset of diabetes and pancreatic cancer, but we didn't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. (laughs) We now know that in a small percentage of the cases that that onset of diabetes is actually a symptom of undetected pancreatic cancer. So we've been able to develop a study that really is going to take a look at patients that get this suddenly an onset of diabetes over a period of three years is what they're estimating, monitor those people, and in the end, we'll know who gets... Diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, but more importantly, we're going to be able to look back and see other things that we were measuring along the way, so that the diabetes is not going to be the only common deni- denominator. There's going to be something else, and boom, we might just have an early detection awesome. method. I don't know. Awesome. That was really quick. <laughs> yeah, I know, and just
1: like I said, we're trying to get through this really, really quickly. Why aren't others able to accomplish what Pan can ha- has? If you can do that really fast as well,
2: well, I think <laughs> it goes back to the beginning. It goes back to our original vision and constant. Vision for for then, for now, for the future, that it's really important that we've got to hit this from many different angles. We've got to, yes, we've got to fund research, absolutely. Yes, we've got to advocate for more government funding of research. We've got to have a patient support system in place that is going to be meaningful and that can help save lives. And we've got to have a community engagement program so that people that have been touched by this disease have a place to come to and feel like family. Very definitely so, and I, I, I want to thank you very much for taking us through a
1: look into what PanCan is doing. It is truly amazing what has been accomplished, and I can never forget the inspiration behind is, in a woman's name, Rose. Um, we've been talking about what PanCan is doing, and I want to leave you all with something that I found very encouraging and inspirational, and I'll try to do this really quickly as well. PanCan's President and CEO, Jilly Fleischman, asked Dr. Stephen Leach, a renowned pancreatic cancer surgeon and researcher, this question. Looking ahead, if PANCAN continues with what we are doing, what do you think is possible in the future? Dr. Leach's response touched me so deeply that it's just been embedded in my mind and I can't get it out. PANCAN has taught me to dream big. In my lifetime, I am confident that through these efforts, we will first turn pancreatic cancer into a disease that people live with rather than die
0: of. Well, there you have it. Words to live by. Here on Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. So if you'd like to share your story, please contact us here at the station Or if you know anyone that needs help, please have them contact the patient services that we described earlier at 877, the number 2, PANCAN. That's 877 and the number 2, P A N C A N, for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And for the OC Talk Radio Network, I'm Paul Roberts, inviting you to share another half hour with us next week as we dive deeper into your journey cancer. Right here in North County's only community radio station, O C Talk Radio.